Hi folks, a shout out this week to Sharon Pask, who did a review of the Take On Board podcast. Thanks, Sharon. She says, gender pay gap episode, very informative session with Emma Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to do a review. We love to get reviews here. And thanks to Emma for doing that episode. Second announcement for this week. This week we're hearing from Kari Hatch. And listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio on with the show. Hi folks, it's Halia and yet again I just wanted to break in and talk a little bit about the Take On Board birthday that's coming up. So would you like to meet some others from the Take On Board community? If so, come along to our first birthday party. It's a free event on Friday the 3rd of July, the anniversary of our first episode going to air. There's both a morning and afternoon session, that's Australian Eastern Standard Time, But one of those times should suit you no matter where you are in the world. There'll be fun conversations, opportunities to meet new people from the Take On Board community and presents that I'll give away. But it's via Zoom, so you'll need to bring your own first birthday cake and drink. There's a link in the show notes to book in for this free event. I would love to see you there. And while I'm here, can I say thank you? Thank you so much for sharing Take On Board with your friends and colleagues. With your support, we are rocketing up the charts. We've moved from the top 100 to the top 50. So with your help, we might just get to the top 20 or even the top 10. So thank you for sharing. And if you haven't quite got around to sharing this podcast yet, I'd love it if you would do so. And maybe ask your friends and colleagues to subscribe. Now. On with the show. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom will shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Today on the Take On Board podcast, we are again doing something a little bit different. You would have heard me talk about our Take On Board events. The most recent one was a couple of weeks ago. We brought together Take On Board listeners from across the globe to hear two fabulous speakers. And today, you get to hear what one of those speakers shared. Now, one thing to note, there's a very annoying tick on the line at the start of this episode, and we weren't able to remove it. But hang in there, it clears up after a couple of minutes. Welcome and thank you for being here, of course. I would like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we meet. For me, that is the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And as I can see, there are people from all around Australia and indeed the world. So I know that the traditional owners of the land of the various places where you are might be different to 
the traditional owners of where I am, but I would like to acknowledge all of them wherever they may be. And as I think I've said a couple of times, when we're talking governance, as we are today, where we like to talk all things governance at Take On Board, I think acknowledging the traditional owners is particularly important because of their incredible stewardship of these lands for many, many years before we came along. And um, acknowledging that in a governance sense, I think is super important. The agenda for today, we'll be hearing from Claudia Fatoni, who is on the board of Cricket Victoria. You will have an opportunity before we do that part to meet some of the people that are here. I will put you in breakout rooms. So guiding questions for your introductions, obviously your name, why you're here, just how you're feeling would be good and something you're proud of from the last month or so would be awesome. So head on over to the breakout rooms and I'll see you back here in 10. I think that's everybody magically been getting kicked out of their breakout room. Welcome back, everyone. In the little introductory breakout rooms that you were just in, could you pop in the chat box some of the things that you found out about each other that they were proud of? I would love to hear some of those things. Uh, I, Morgana has just got her FAICD, uh, which is be, becoming a fellow of the Australian Institute of Community Directors. That is an awesome thing. Congratulations, Morgana. Getting through the lockdown with children and buying an apartment. That is pretty amazing work. <laughs> Morgana's just popped in there. Thanks to me for supporting her application. Absolute pleasure. Uh, four and a half hour board meeting via Zoom from Sue. That is pretty incredible. Well done. Also from Greta, managing study and work from home. From Sophie, sailing, renovating, as always, an awesome group of women here. From Katrina. Dominique is homeschooling and it resulted in the fabulous artistic mural you see in her backdrop. It is pretty extraordinary. Dominique, can you give everyone a wave so people know that it's you and then uh, that is an amazing backdrop. Nicole, keeping up the fitness regime, incredibly impressive at this time. Fiona, oh my goodness, moving to another country at this time. Well done, Caitlin. That is pretty extraordinary. Well done, Caitlin. From Jacinta, maintaining my routine with meditation, training, yoga, and fast river walks. In fact, Jacinta, we live both live near the Merry Creek, so I'm looking forward to one of those fast river walks with you at some stage soon. Awesome. Thank you for sharing all of that stuff. There is so much good stuff going on. Uh, from Ag Alex, juggling a toddler and work through the lockdown, incredibly difficult. Um, yeah, it's hard times at the moment. And I sh actually, I should have acknowledged that at the start as well, that during this weird period of COVID that it is affecting all sorts of people in very different ways. Um, some are finding it an absolute pleasure, some are finding it incredibly difficult and all of the different things in between. Now, I know this group is incredibly supportive. So can I just ask that people are not only kind, let's be kind to ourselves during this as well, because it's hard and of course, kind to each other. Uh, from Anna, finished a training manual in time for project deliverables. Awesome, so much to be proud of. Now, let me introduce our speaker. Today, we are hearing from the fabulous Claudia Fatoni. Claudia is a board member of the Victorian Law Foundation, the Federation of Community Legal Centres, and for today's podcast, relevantly, she is a director of Cricket Victoria, the Melbourne Stars and the Melbourne Renegades. Claudia has held a range of management roles, including Associate Director, Sport Employment Australia, and Women's Cricket Operations Manager with Cricket Victoria. 
Claudia has a Bachelor of Commerce degree and a graduate diploma from the Australian Institute of Company Directors. She is also the Chief Executive Officer of Fitzroy Legal Service. Today, she is sharing some of her insights about how Cricket Victoria has governed during COVID-19. Note that this was recorded on the 20th of May 2020, so things have moved slightly since then, but the lessons that she shares are still relevant. Now, let's hear from Claudia. Yeah, thank you, Helio, and hopefully everyone can hear me okay. Um, so I too would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners um, of the land that I'm sitting in and uh, acknowledge that it's the Kulin Nation and pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge any First Nations people that might be with us today and thanks to Halia for the invitation to speak. So I was first elected to the Cricket Victoria Board in August 2011 and I'll be completing my maximum nine-year term in August of this year. And while cricket has had many challenges over that time, there's been none bigger than COVID-19. And if I can take you back to Sunday, the 8th of March, 2020, International Women's Day, when 86,174 people packed into the MCG for the final of the Women's T20 World Cup between Australia and India, the biggest ever crowd for a women's standalone sporting event in Australia. Three days later, on March 11, the World Health Organisation declared the coronavirus a pandemic and on the 16th of March, the Victorian government effectively put Victoria into lockdown. So within the space of eight days, did we lose the opportunity to capitalise on the energy and passion that was around the women's game? And how do we recapture this as we emerge from this crisis and into the next summer of cricket? So a bit of context on CV before COVID-19. So our vision is to be Victoria's favourite sport, a sport for all Victorians. And our strategic objectives centre around three central pillars. We want to grow our fan base through the Big Bash League, we want to be number one for participation. We want to increase sustainable participation for, for Victorian clubs and volunteers. And for our elite players and teams, we want to be number one in all formats to deliver the best high performance system in the country. We have 490,000 cricket participants in Victoria and we have achieved the highest participation levels in Australia for the third successive year, having steady year on year participation growth, particularly in the female area, but also on the back of significant population growth in Victoria from nations that have an affinity with cricket. And we've enjoyed significant state government support for facilities and infrastructure, namely our flagship facility, the City Power Centre at the Junction Oval, as well as many community training cricket facilities. And when I started putting this presentation together and thinking about our response to COVID-19 from the governance perspective, I went back and reviewed our board papers. And then we had a board meeting on the 11th of March and the COVID-19 had five lines in the board papers at that time and mentioned our communications to clubs and associations, supporting them to take appropriate guidelines and precautions and following the advice of state and federal health authorities. I think initially cricket thought it had escaped the worst of the COVID-19 impact. Our 2019-2020 season had taken a hit towards the back end with the cancellation of matches of the men's and Australian women's teams um, and other elite competitions. And we also had cancellation of finals for Premier and Community Cricket. Media reporting throughout March suggested that cricket as a business could absorb the impacts of COVID-19. However, as the health and economic impacts of the pandemic began to materialise, it became clear that this wasn't the case. So as a board, we went into governance overdrive. We've um, held a number of special board and finance and investment committee meetings. We had seven meetings over four weeks in April, formal meetings and obviously lots more informal discussions. And we've had more meetings throughout May, including a number of stakeholder, external stakeholder meetings. To think about our external stakeholders, we had a, quite a complex matrix to consider in planning our response. So we have our staff, including our contracted elite players. 
We have our Cricket Victoria members, which include the men's and women's premier clubs, peak bodies for Victoria Metropolitan and Country Cricket, and which we have funding relationships with these organisations. We have the broader cricket community, consisting of our clubs, associations, players, volunteers and umpires, our commercial, government and education partners, other sports that share grounds with cricket, such as AFL, and finally, Cricket Australia and the other state cricket associations. So I just wanted to outline our response under five key risk headings. So we consider financial risk. The situation facing Cricket Victoria in early April was this a minimum 25% reduction in funding from Cricket Australia, a reduction in revenue generation at the City Power Centre through suspended indoor centre usage and event bookings whilst COVID-19 remains. We've got a challenging commercial marketplace to find new sponsors for the Big Bash and ongoing certainty around the Big Bash League and our ticketing revenue forecast, for example, if the competition is played behind closed doors with no crowds. Three of our major Big Bash sponsors advised us early this year that they wouldn't be renewing. So ordinarily, they'd be fortunate that we were given such early notice, but then the pandemic hit. And one of the early decisions we had to make was whether we would look to draw down on our reserves, which includes an investment portfolio valued at approximately 28 million. We also have a $40 million facility at the City Power Centre, which requires considerable annual depreciation and maintenance costs. And so after much discussion, the board made a decision to protect the balance sheet to ensure the state's cricket community was in a strong position to rebound from the crisis and also to underpin the financial viability of the organisation moving forward. It should also be noted that these investments form part, generate earnings on an annual basis which form part of our operating expenditure. So they are very important moving forward. We're also cognizant there are greater risks out there. We don't know how long the pandemic will continue, whether there'll be further spikes and lockdowns, and for this coming season, it's still an unknown as to whether the Big Bash League will be played in front of crowds or if the Indian men's series will go ahead. So there are further immediate risks to revenue and funding that exist for us. So we took a very, what would probably be seen as a conservative view. The second risk was around our people risk. And once the financial risk became clear, we had some key decisions as to how we would manage our people risk. We agreed early on in our planning process that it was preferable to implement our organisational redesign in preference to standing people down, only to restructure in a few months' time. We felt it provided certainty to all employees, particularly those being made redundant. And once we determined how we would reorganise ourselves, we didn't want to leave people in limbo. And stand them down and potentially set them use up all their entitlements, only still to be made redundant. And from May the 1st to the 15th of May, we undertook an extensive redesign of the organisation, resulting in 36% of roles being made redundant. We took the approach that discussions with the affected staff should be done face-to-face -face wherever possible. And as a result, we've seen some amazing people leave Cricket Victoria and witnessed some excellent examples of leadership, integrity, camaraderie and support. However, emotions are mixed, as you can appreciate, and we're keeping watch on some people who aren't coping very well as others, and we'll need to continue that vigilance over the coming weeks and months. We've been encouraged, all our staff have been encouraged to maintain contact with Cree Victoria, and we intend to offer additional support as needed. The other people risk centre around our elite players. So the MOU discussions between Cricket Australia and the Australian Cricket Associations delayed the Australian player contracting process, which then in turn delayed our state contracting process. We're now preparing for a return to work by our state players on the 1st of June and implementing all the necessary processes and policies to ensure that we adhere to government health regulations. And central to our people risk is our CEO and his senior management team who have shouldered an immense workload and emotional burden during this time. 
The third risk was around our reputation risk. Cricket has received considerable media coverage across the nation in relation to the situation at Cricket Australia and then the flow and effects to the state and territory cricket associations. The Cricket Australia media coverage was very negative, almost citing a lack of belief that their actions were necessary. Some media have also tried to articulate a state versus cricket association narrative, when in reality we as the CV board have been working extremely closely with Cricket Australia and the other state and territory associations on a whole of cricket response to this pandemic. From a Crew Victoria perspective, we communicated our decision to restructure the organisation with all our stakeholders on the 1st of May. And following this communication, we sought to avoid ongoing media comment while a change process was occurring. We made an early commitment in this process to prioritise information sharing with our people. In hindsight, perhaps a bit of a naive approach. Additional comment by Crew Victoria would possibly have forced us to discuss our staffing changes in greater detail and then we lead to discussions around staffing in the various departments before the staff themselves were able to be fully engaged in the detail. But I think we underestimated the level of media scrutiny and commentary that this approach would attract. We've had very caustic negative reviews of Cricket Victoria's decisions. Headlines such as Cricket's ruthless COVID-19 cost-cutting, CV using COVID-19 crisis as an excuse for its main job cuts, and Cricket Victoria bails in the Mallee-Murray region. Direct communications received from some of our cricket stakeholders have also expressed a sense of dismay and betrayal within community cricket at the loss of much of our field force staff. And now we're embarking on a series of proactive community stakeholder media engagement programs in respect to our changes and possibly involving a series of virtual or face-to-face -face meetings in community forums and metropolitan regional centres to explain the detail and context for our changes and our plans moving forward. And of course, been engaging in proactive discussions with our government partners. Can we rebuild trust with the crew community? I think only time will tell. The fourth was around strategy risk. So our vision is for cricket to be Victoria's favourite sport and a sport for all Victorians. And so we've had to consider how COVID-19 impacts our three key strategic pillars, um, as I mentioned earlier. How do we grow our fan base through the big bash if the big bash doesn't occur? How do we grow sustainable participation and increase support for Victorian clubs and volunteers with a reduced field force staff? And how do we deliver the best high performance system in Australia on less resources and perhaps with less playing opportunities for our players? The return to play for professional and community winter sports is guiding our planning in relation to the upcoming summer. And we've been having discussions with AFL Victoria and the current tripartite agreement around the de that defines the seasons between cricket and football. It's also important to consider what we've had to put on hold due to significant resource and energy that a COVID-19 response has required. Implementation of our strategies across men's and women's Premier Cricket and our Melbourne Metro strategy, activation of our regional cricket hubs, and the review of our current strategy, Crew Victoria strategy, which finishes in 2022, in order to be able to contribute to the next whole of Australian cricket strategy process. There's also a gender lens over our COVID-19 responses. There's been some reported discourse around implications for the AFLW and the W League if their governing bodies and clubs are facing significant funding cuts. Do you preserve men's competitions at the expense of women's ones? Or do you hold firm to your strategy and make cuts to men's competitions to ensure you can offer women's ones as well? And there was a recent media opinion piece by Australian player Lisa Healy with the title, Healy warns against cuts to women's cricket. And she was passionately arguing against any cuts to the women's game on the back of the energy and the passion that was around the women's T20 World Cup final. So our challenge moving forward is how we support the clubs, associations and schools that ultimately deliver the cricket playing opportunities and it's going to have to be different because of the staffing changes we've made 
whether that's through better use of technology or enhanced call centre capability. And in this period of isolation and working from home, we've unearthed a few nuggets already in terms of the ways of working that will inform how we deliver certain programs to support the cricket community in the future. We know we'll need to work closely together with our cricket stakeholders to galvanise and support the volunteers who are the lifeblood of cricket in Victoria and achieve our strategic objectives. And our fifth was around governance risk. We have two directors, myself included, in retiring at the August AGM. And given the challenges facing cricket and the public scrutiny at the moment, are we an attractive proposition to attract talented individuals to our board? So some final reflections, more questions that have been in my mind since this pandemic hit. What could we have planned for earlier? Was there information missing? How do we better balance stakeholder needs and particularly the importance of proactive media and stakeholder communications? Do we need training of key people around crisis management and dealing with media in such situations? We've had almost a sole focus on financial risk, particularly at the start. So did we consider enough the value beyond the balance sheet? And finally, what are the opportunities for innovation and bringing communities together that can arise out of the pandemic? Beautiful, thank you, Claudia. Amazing, beautiful insights there. Finally, if you could just pop in the chat box, one word that summarises the conversation we've had today. And then we will close out for today. Thank you again so much for being here. Honest, frank, inspiring, another honest, helpful, insightful, solidarity, powerful, authentic, informative, inspiring. God, I can barely keep up. Intelligent, insightful, amazing. Lots of I words and lots of incredible stuff there. So thank you, educational. Thank you so much for being here today for the first official Take On Board event. It was gorgeous to see all your fabulous faces. Thank you for being here. On with your day to do all of the awesome stuff that you do. Thanks, Celia. Absolute pleasure. Thanks all. Bye. Thanks very much. Bye. Thanks Bye. all. Hi there, it's Halia. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group, where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation.